This morning we're beginning a new sermon series, and uh, before I start, I want to just say a word. Um, a lot of people are asking about our masks and um, uh, when we're not going to have to wear them to church. I tell you what we're going to be doing. We're going to be continuing to wear them, especially when we're coming in. But if you feel safe and would like to lower your mask during the service after we've sung our hymn for the morning, you can do so. I'll just ask you to put them back on when we leave the sanctuary and, um, and when, we, when we exit and we're around uh, other people. Thank you very much for your understanding and participation. Now, next Sunday, Mother's Day, uh, we're going to have a nursery, and that nursery will continue. But we do want to ask those who would like to have your children in the nursery to call the church or go online and make reservations for your child to be in the nursery next week. Another sign of things getting back to um, uh, more of a normal uh, circumstance. So uh, remember that and help us to pass the word that, that uh, our nursery will be starting, and this is going to be for babies up through kindergarten. And uh, we're also going to have plenty for children to do in worship uh, if they choose to be with their parents during the worship hour. Today we're going to be um, focusing on a new sermon series. It'll just be a few weeks old, uh, but it's going to be called Unnamed. And we're going to be uh, centering in on some of those unnamed characters in the Bible whose messages still speak to us so strongly today. Many of those unnamed ones, of course, are women, and such is the case today. Uh, Randall read for us the passage that we'll be looking at from Luke's gospel. And the reason I chose Luke's gospel is that, true to form, uh, Luke, when he's dealing with women, especially the unnamed women, he gives us more information, more facts. Luke is constantly uplifting women and others who are, um, are oftentimes overlooked uh, in the, the Scripture. Uh, Luke is the real champion of the underserved. In Matthew and Mark, we have this same story. The unnamed woman anoints Jesus' head. It's a little different in Luke, isn't it? Uh, where the woman comes in and not only anoints Jesus' feet, but also her tears wet and wash his feet, and she dries um, his feet with her hair. Now, in John's gospel, the story also exists, but in John's gospel, the woman is named, and in his story, it's Mary, the mother, or, or the, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, and so it's a little different story altogether. But in these three stories, there are similarities, and I want to raise at least three of these similarities. One is that there was an expensive ointment used. It was nard. And I have some nard that I got in Jerusalem uh, last year in January before COVID-19 uh, became uh, very prevalent on the scene. I was so thankful to be able to be in Jerusalem with a group from the church and, um, and I, I, I picked up this nard, and so I remembered that this morning uh, as, um, as I was coming to the church that I wanted to bring that ointment with me. The second similarity is the anointer is a woman in all four of these accounts. And thirdly, the act is criticized by others. In two of the Gospels, the other one who's the critic is named, and it's Judas. 
And, and some, um, one of the accounts says it's the disciples. And the account that we read today um, has not only the guests, but the particular host of the party, who is Simon the Pharisee, he's the critic that Jesus shares the parable with that's not shared in any of the other three that gives rise to the message about forgiveness. Alexander Pope said, to err is human, to forgive is divine. Lewis Smead said, God invented forgiveness as a remedy for a past that not even he could change nor forget. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Those who are forgiven much love much. You know, the forgiving was marked with the anointing of that special ointment, nard, which was extremely expensive and costly shipped in uh, because the, those in Jesus' day loved the smell and, and they loved the healing uh, characteristics of this spike nard, which it was called. Uh, can't you smell that smell? Can't you smell the sweetest smell you can call to your uh, mind right now? And if you can, I hope that you connect that smell as those did in the room uh, when Jesus was anointed with this nard, I hope you connect it with forgiveness. Spike nard was this favorite, costly perfume of antiquity. And we need to realize today that the forgiveness that we're talking about in this story, the forgiveness that uh, led this one who was being anointed to a cross, forgiveness is costly. Come, um, and let us take just a, a closer look this morning at this entire scene as it unfolds. Jesus is invited to a supper by Simon the Pharisee. You, you know, in some of the accounts, Simon is identified not as a Pharisee, but as a leper. Now, they wouldn't have been in his home if he still suffered from leprosy. So you have to wonder if this Simon was one whom Jesus had healed from his leprosy and also a Pharisee. How much thanksgiving would have been in his heart or should have been in his heart for, for the healing that he had been given that many would have associated with forgiveness because many in Jesus' day understood that sickness was connected to sin. Jesus said, not so. However, Simon is an interesting character in and of himself in this story about forgiveness and thanksgiving. But why did Simon invite Jesus to his house? Was it to say thank you to him, perhaps? Maybe it was um, to, to get to know this one a little better Maybe even it was to set a trap or to learn more about his teachings that some of his Pharisee colleagues were starting to question. We don't know. But whatever the motive was, Jesus accepted the invitation. 
You know, dinner parties for the rich and famous today are usually done in like expensive uh, mansions or, or, or in expensive rooms and clubs or whatnot are oftentimes guarded even. But in Jesus' day, a dinner party would have been very different. It would have been out in the open, perhaps out in a courtyard. Uh, the public would have been passing by. They would have noticed this special dinner and this special guest. And Jesus would have been one who they would have been attracted to because he was the honored guest of the party. So while Jesus and Simon and, and others ate the bread and drank the wine, the pedestrians passing by uh, would sometimes stop to listen. And one was a woman of the night who, who lived a sinful life. She perhaps had heard Jesus' teaching before, but, but she honed in on what the Lord was saying. And she was so moved when she saw Jesus reclining there at Simon's table. She stood behind him weeping, and she wet his feet with her tears. Here was a woman who knew that the right moment for doing certain things had come. And, and she knew that she wasn't going to miss this moment with, without the opportunity of, of expressing her gratitude and her thanksgiving to this one who was God incarnate, God in the flesh. She wasn't going to miss that opportunity. And then she did something that no respectable woman in that day would have done in public. She let her hair down and she dried the tears from his feet with her hair. She kissed his feet, not his cheek, his feet. And she poured this nard perfume, this ointment, all over Jesus' feet. And the sight caused Simon to gasp and the others at the table to, to, to look down upon her and even to look down upon Jesus, who should have known who this was, who was causing such a, a scene. And then Jesus, he too didn't want to miss the opportunity. He wanted to seize the moment and he taught about forgiveness. He taught about that one who owed 500 days of work and the other who owed 50 days of work. And when that one, the master, forgave those days of work, Jesus said, who do you think was the most thankful? And Simon said, the one who'd been forgiven the most. And Jesus said, you're right. You're right. And everybody understood the lesson. You know, there are a few questions I'd like to raise this morning from this story. And I hope these questions are not just questions that we learn as a lesson, but lessons that we can apply to our own lives and our own need for forgiveness. First, we ask, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a debt that has been canceled. In trying to explain things to Simon, Jesus tells that story about the one who is forgiven much and the one who is forgiven less 
And Simon answers correctly. The one who's forgiven the most is the one who is the most thankful. Forgiveness is the cancellation of a debt. Forgiveness is free, but it is not cheap. I do understand that to some, the, the cross can be very offensive. I mean, when we talk about the event of the cross that is the symbol of our forgiveness, we're we're talking about one who was nailed on that cross, one who was pierced in the side, one who was taunted, and one who suffered and died such a torturous death. You you know, when you think about uh, the cross and all that it symbolizes and, and, and being featured in our most beautiful sanctuaries, Lifted up as a high place of honor, the cross. We realize that it symbolizes our debt that has been paid. I've been thinking about that old hymn this week. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Forgiveness is made possible by the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We often say and we sing about the blood of Jesus paying the debt and canceling our sin. Are you thankful for that this morning? You know, forgiveness is also life restored. What transformed this woman of the night into a servant of light is nothing less than a miracle of love. Tony DeMello was an an Indian um, Jesuit priest and also a psychotherapist and a wonderful author. Um, he, He wrote... Uh, books that, that still speak today, even though he's been, uh, been dead for, um, for, for some years. He wrote in one of those books, everyone kept telling me to change. I agreed I needed to change, but I couldn't change. No matter how hard I tried, I felt powerless, trapped, confused. And then one day, A friend said, I love you just the way you are. It was the most freeing thing I've ever known in my life. Suddenly I relaxed. I came to life. I found the power to change. He taught me the very deep nature of God's love for me. Do you hear that? Do you hear the power of that? This priest who was, uh, in essence, confessing his transformation, his conversion, and sharing what made it all possible for him was what a friend shared with him that he equated to the love of God. Let us never forget that God takes people where they are and loves people back to life 
He not only restores our soul, He restores our self-worth and our own understanding of our value. I hope this morning that we understand that forgiveness is a life restored, brought back to life. And that forgiveness is your gift, and it's mine. You know, the second question I have this morning is this. Who needs forgiveness? That's really what this story is all about, isn't it? Who needs it? On the one hand, it's clear that sinners need it. Uh, The other question is, well, then who is a sinner? You know, everyone in this story knew that the woman was a sinner, even though the text in Luke's gospel says it like three times. Do, Do we really need to be reminded? But that's what I love about the Bible. It's so honest. It's so true. It's so straightforward. This woman was a sinner. And sinners need to be forgiven. You know, Paul says again and again in his letters, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote a third of our New Testament, the great evangelist of the church, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief sinner. St. Francis of Assisi said, There is nowhere a more wretched and more miserable sinner than I. How beloved is St. Francis. And yet St. Francis knew the depth of his own sin for which he had been forgiven. You know, people close to God have a sensibility to sin. They have an awareness of how far They have to go to truly live a godly life and how unattainable that is on our own. People who are close to God realize that that, that if forgiveness is by the acts that we do is, is about our own doing, then how far removed forgiveness is from us. People who are close to God understand Not not only the need for forgiveness, but that that forgiveness is a gift. You know, Jesus does not distinguish between sin in high places and sin in low places. The woman was a sinner and she knew it. The Pharisee was also a sinner, but we don't seem to think he knows it. There's a self-righteousness. There's a juxtaposing that, that, that she's a sinner and Jesus should know it. And here I am, the one who's invited him into my home. Self-righteousness blocks us from God's grace. Brennan Manon wrote a powerful book years ago called Ruthless Truth, The Ragamuffin's Path to God. I love that. What a great title. He said... The great weakness of the North American church is our refusal to accept our brokenness. We hide it. We evade it. We gloss over it. We look for the cosmetic kit and put on our virtuous face 
to make ourselves admirable to the public. We have not found power over the weakness because we cannot admit we have a weakness. When we have no need, we experience no grace. You know, it's one thing for grace to be free and offered to us. It's another thing for us to understand our need for it and receive it. Which brings me to my final question. How do we receive forgiveness? By the unmerited, unearned, unconditional love of God, we receive it. Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Receiving forgiveness is not always easy. We, we like to do things ourselves. We like for it all to make sense. There's a sense in which we have to pay for something we receive. And yet that's not the way we receive forgiveness. We, we receive forgiveness as one who is, is not worthy and, and yet is accepted. One who has done things that we can't imagine God forgiving and yet God is there to offer forgiveness. God's love is not something we earn. God's love is something we receive. When it's undeserved love, we call it grace. We respond to grace with gratitude. The prostitute wasn't altogether proper about the way she responded in this story. She interrupted the dinner party. The water she used was not uh, clean water that she got out of a clean basin, but it was from the depth of her soul, her very tears. And she didn't kiss Jesus on the cheek. She kissed his feet. She let her hair down to dry his feet. She did everything wrong. You can almost hear the gasps of those in her midst. And she anoints his feet, not with some cheap olive oil, but with a very expensive ointment that fills the room with the fragrance of forgiveness. It's unforgettable. Jesus said, forever. They will remember this act. So she hadn't mastered all the skills of how to act in high places. And yet from her low place, she mastered the skill of receiving grace, forgiveness. You say thank you and you have sense enough to just receive what God has to offer. How do we receive forgiveness? We receive it by faith. 
in verse 50, the last verse of this text. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Faith is that rare courage to act on that which we cannot yet prove to be true. Faith is leaving a fresh grave with enough hope to carry on. Faith is accepting forgiveness when it seems nothing more than a dream. Faith is proclaiming peace while you still feel the turmoil inside. Faith is letting your hair down enough to receive the mercy of God. The just live by faith, not certitude. It is where we all must find ourselves. Have you received the forgiveness that God alone provides? Forgiveness, do you sense the need for it? Forgiveness, have you tasted its joy? Forgiveness, it's God's great hope for all flawed people. Forgiveness is meant for you. It's meant for me. You know, today we're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to come to a, a, a supper where Jesus himself, the living Lord, is present. Here at Lover's Lane, we gather under the beauty of an empty cross with the golden crown of thorns reminding us of the pain and suffering of this empty cross that reminds us of our living, resurrected Jesus. This sanctuary and in our chapel too, there are crosses that were given by a woman named Elizabeth Price who gave these gifts late into her 90s because the cross became more and more beautiful to her as she came closer and closer to the end of her life. I love this cross. This cross picks up the colors of this room. You can come into this sanctuary in the still of night and this cross looks ebony. But I remember when we raised that cross and you could look into that cross face to face and you could see your reflection in it. No one who would look into this cross would not see your reflection. It would be there. And the forgiveness that this cross stands for, no one escapes. It's offered to all. The cross is for you. Forgiveness is for you. And the meal we will have, we call the ritual the great thanksgiving. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to Jesus for our forgiveness. Amen.